quickly, right. I'm going to say Tara Bassett. And for once, I said your first name right. Yeah, good. Um, thank you for coming in today. I am so happy to be here with you, Paul. Now, when you said just before, I was smart enough to push the button because you told me to. <laughs> um, you, you, we, were, we were talking about one of the great things about podcasts is, you know, FCC rules be damned. We can say what we want. Yes. But you told me that over the course of your entire career, you never slipped. Kathy Lincoln and I just had this conversation last week when I had her as a guest on my show, and um, she's the one who said to me the first time I ever went on the air on a radio station, Tara, when the red light is on, we don't say beep. <laughs> <laughs> and so we both were bragging to each other about the fact that throughout our decades of radio and television, neither of us has, has ever sworn, mm -hmm. which is really amazing because we both talk like sailors. <laughs> I mean, we have the most obscene combination of languages. Susan Sweeney Crumb sat in between us and she was just dying. She, she couldn't believe it. Sheila Blair Ash was doing the same thing. She just couldn't believe we were talking. But no, I've never had a slip, so I'm not going to be starting now. Okay. <laughs> but I'll be thinking it. I may try to I'll slip be thinking you it. <laughs> so I'll have to come in with the occasional aside. <clears throat> She's thinking Beep. it. Um, a, mi a million years ago, um, I, I, I did, I got off into film and video production, um, because ultimately I wanted to do documentaries because ultimately I wanted to sit across from people and talk to them about sure. interesting things, which only took me about, you know, 25 years before I finally got around to doing this. Better but late than never. I started in a tiny, tiny, tiny little uh, TV station in Southern Mississippi mm -hmm. when I first did TV. And the weatherman Rex, um, I only knew him from seeing him on TV. And I, not to stereotype, but he was sort of a typical old school weatherman, very affable. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the helmet hair, you know, and the plaid jacket. He did, <laughs> but <laughs> very, it. very nice plaid jackets. <clears throat> but, um, I knew him from the end tonight, the weather, I mean, just Mr. Smooth started working at the station and I had first time I had to work in the studio with him. And as soon as the light went off, just a string of profanities, Blue. he was hilarious. Blue though, air. Was, he, yeah. Much, much. Yep. Um, and then after that, I'm like, Oh, I kind of like this business. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. Before that, the only thing I had done was radio, and you know, same rules apply. Right. But the people I was working with in radio had made their way slowly down the FM chain until they got to the station I was working at, so it, nothing surprised me. Mother used to say to me, Tara, use your words. You're way too intelligent <laughs> and have far too large a vocabulary to resort to that kind of language. Were you always a language person? Well, I had an English teacher for a mother. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she and my dad both had foreign language, as you would expect in that day and age, and mm -hmm. their mother had several languages, and, um, and I took Latin <laughs> for a year and a half. It was so funny because Sister Everoldis was our teacher. She mm -hmm. was in a wheelchair, and each time somebody would drop second-year Latin, she would come in, and she, you know, there were like eight of us to start out, and she'd come in, and she'd say, now we are seven. And we thought somebody had died the first time she said it. Now we are six. And it was because, you know, by the time you got to second year Latin, you're like, am I really going to ever use this? Right. The truth of the matter is, I wish I'd finished it because I do use it all the time. Whenever I look at a foreign language book or I see something that's sure. written in another language, I can break down a lot of it mm -hmm. because of the base language. But, oh, I wish I'd, I wish I, poor sister of Rildis is probably... Now she's walking. She doesn't have to be in a wheelchair anymore. But she's probably flipping out and saying, oh, Tara, now we are six. <laughs> <laughs>
So your mom was an English teacher. She high, was. High school English. Uh, actually, middle school middle most school. of her life. She taught every grade, but but mostly middle school for about the last 20 years. She loved seventh grade because huh. they were kind of at the top of the grade school heap and the bottom of the middle school heap, so they were a little uncertain. <laughs> and she had the opportunity to mold them in Just a very positive way. Nothing but raw material. And she was a master teacher. She taught student teachers mm -hmm. regularly and uh, was just really well respected. And she spent the last 30 years in the Beaverton School District in Oregon, so. Okay. Were you ever attempted by education? But not in terms of getting any, but. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of that, yeah. whatever it's worth. Um, no, I, you know, I, I have taught a lot because I got, a, I got a degree in political science from college and then I went back after 20 years and got a meteorology degree, mm -hmm. you know, close to 40, so that was pretty. Well, actually, it was closer to 30. Yeah, it was closer to 30. Mm. But I finally learned how to do math by that point. <laughs> I don't know what it was about years of budgeting and paying bills. And so it's sort of changed my brain around so that mm -hmm. I could actually do math. And um, so, yeah, I taught a lot in terms of weather. Mm -hmm. And I did a home show where I taught a lot about homes, but mm -hmm. it was always via the media. Mm -hmm. So getting in a classroom, not so much, except maybe to lecture or tell, you know, tell stories to kids who wanted to learn about the weather. Sure. I wouldn't probably want to uh, want to teach but I had my sister was a teacher my mother my very best friend and and tons of people I know and I really stand with teachers and I think that what's mm. happening right now um, sucks oh. in so many words use your vocabulary Tara <laughs> it's extremely unfortunate and extraordinarily unfair yeah you know because where would we be we should be paying our teachers more and we should be giving them better benefits and we should not be trashing their retirement after in some cases 30 or 40 years of dedicating their lives to to educating our children mm -hmm. and so uh, so i stand with teachers amen yep and i have a feeling no matter when this comes <clears throat> out that will still need to be said yeah over absolutely and over again well i had the pleasure <clears throat> <coughs> of meeting our governor yesterday. Hmm, sorry. <coughs> 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 Said all those words trying to come out? <laughs> yes, <laughs> for the first time in my career. And I mentioned that um, I really would like him to visit Bridgehaven Mental Health Services, mm -hmm. where I am employed part-time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said that he had a wonderful group of people working for him and I needed to go through his scheduling. And I said, well, Governor, the problem is I've sent you at least three emails, half a dozen phone calls, and two handwritten letters which I delivered to your office when I was in Frankfurt. And I have not had so much as a return phone call. Mm. He says, well, you're just going to have to... I get 600 requests a month. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, thought bubble, that's not really very many for a governor. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, he said, well, what I'm going to, this was at the cemetery yesterday. Mm -hmm. Not yesterday. I shouldn't say that because we're going to be doing this sure. way in advance. But Memorial on Day. Memorial Day, uh, this was at the cemetery on Memorial Day. And there were plastic chairs that had been set up for the purpose of, you know, inviting honored guests to come and sit down and, and uh, be able to absorb the ceremony. And um, he says, well, what we're going to do right now is we're going to go put these plastic chairs away. And I thought, okay, good. We're talking about mental health and what the Medicaid waiver could do to us. And he's talking about how important it is to put the plastic chairs away, which just kind of goes to show you where priorities are, you know. And he also explained to me that the Medicaid waiver was going to do wonders for our ability to deal with behavioral health issues. And I'm thinking, really? So telling someone with serious mental illness that they have to fill out a raft of paperwork every month or risk losing and getting locked out of their Medicaid mm -hmm. and telling them that they have to work or, or volunteer for 20 hours a week 
when many of them are incapable of doing that mm -hmm. and telling them, and it just goes on goes and on, on and on. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So that's my, that's my soapbox. Thank S you, governor. Stay up there. <clears throat> no, it's, it's interesting to me. Uh, and I, I think this is the first time on here that I've talked about this, but you know, for myself, I of course didn't realize it until I finally started trying to get some help, but I'd spent apparently most of my life dealing with depression mm -hmm. and it's not so much, I was lucky, mm -hmm. you know, between the, the therapy and any other things that I needed to kind of get me out <laughs> of where I'd been, it worked really well for me. But right. all around me, I realized looking back and also just, you know, once I started getting better, all around me, you know, people every day dealing with everything from depression, anxiety issues to, you know, some full-blown... Suicide. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you remember what I was like. When I went into my depression, it's it was terrifying. It is. It was terrifying to everybody around me. And you used to give <clears throat> me massages mm -hmm. and try to give me, you know, some sort of feeling of that physical touch of healing, which you do very well, by Thank the you. way. And um, and there was just nothing that could help. I was I was inconsolable, and mm -hmm. my brain was completely out of whack. Yeah. And um, you know, thank God that I had the ability and the resources to go and get treatment mm -hmm. for two months in Atlanta at a wonderful place called Skyland Trail. Because although Bridgehaven Mental Health Services is a wonderful organization, it's not inpatient. Mm -hmm. And I needed to go inpatient. Sure. I had to go somewhere where I could get very, very serious and intensive therapy. And mm -hmm. I did. And it was actually like going back to college mm -hmm. because I learned a whole new skill set. I had freedom. I was able to, you know, go places, do things, Unlike the first place that somebody stuck me in, which, which I lasted at for four days where I was in a medical lockdown after being strip searched, only being allowed outside to smoke, right. not being able to have water, mm -hmm. having to you know, drink out of fountains because bottled water was a projectile, and being in a place that was a, an alcohol and drug rehab facility, mm -hmm. supposedly treating depression. Mm -hmm. And you know, so this is the kind of crap, excuse my French, because mm -hmm. that's really not a bad word, <laughs> that that people in the mental health system are put through yeah. for the most part and then to be able to find someplace wonderful like I did at $25,000 a month mm -hmm. which is devastating to most people and thank God I had an IRA but um, it's it's amazing to me how people who have mental illness and who do not have the resources or the support systems can survive and many don't no. because one in four of us is affected by mental illness mm -hmm. and the suicide rate in this town is extraordinary mm -hmm. and a huge proportion of those are affected by mental illness and people don't talk about it enough as a mental health issue right we still have it seems like anyway we still have that idea suicide is, is too often just plugged as if they want to pathologize it at all a disease of despair i heard somebody discuss or, or call it one time and even that doesn't give it its full due i mean yeah obviously you're in despair when you get to that point what got you to that point? And like you say, there's a fair chance that it was a mental health issue. Absolutely. When you, obviously there's still a stigma. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's interesting that the two reactions have always been, look at you like you're broken. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a, a health issue, but you're just damaged. Mm -hmm. You know, as opposed to, you know, if I, when I got my gallbladder taken out, mm -hmm. I didn't get shit for, oh, you're damaged. You had mm -mm. a bad gallbladder. Mm -mm. <clears throat> You're not perfect. Mm -mm. You know, so on the one hand, you've got that extreme. It's just a health issue that can be dealt with if right. we want to uh, allocate the resources. Right. On the other hand, I don't think people realize how often that 
the biggest sort of institutional uh, funnel we have for mental health issues is the, the penal system in this country. Uh-huh. The number that's of right. people who wind up just locked up. Uh-huh. And that's great for you. Well, and I'll tell you something. Uh, I use the analogy of if you are on a pair of crutches mm-hmm. and you're walking towards the door, what does everybody do? They run to open the door for you. Oh, here, let me help you. Mm-hmm. If you see someone acting a little strangely, waving their arms, appearing to be, you know, what you would call out of control on mm-hmm. the city streets, you run. You run in the other direction and call mm-hmm. the police. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I'm one of those people who does not walk away from someone who's in a crisis and who's obviously having some sort of break. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll talk with them. I'll be safe. I'll keep my distance. But sure. I'll speak with them while I'm calling the police. And obviously, um, that's always a questionable thing. But in Louisville, our police are treated um, completely differently than a lot of other areas that we read about in the newspaper right, and see right. online. We have uh, crisis intervention training for the Louisville Police Department, and I actually help facilitate that hmm. for Bridgehaven. We train police officers what it's like to have a mental illness and how they could potentially react a little bit more positively mm-hmm. and provide something different than incarceration. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are options for people to go to places. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be checked into center, central state. You can be taken to Our Lady of Peace or mm-hmm. University of Louisville or one of the other psychiatric hospital uh, units. And, you know, the other thing is maybe you just need to go someplace safe. Maybe mm-hmm. you just need to go home. Maybe you need to find a friend. Sure. So you don't always have the outcome of going to jail. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about, you know, our city is that we try to do things mm-hmm. a little bit better. We try to do things on a little higher level. After you saw the girl on the beach and, you know, the basketball star oh. up in, you know, in the north, you just, oh, my God, you just don't even want to think about that kind of stuff happening right. here. Right. And unfortunately, it does. Nobody's perfect. But I think we're doing a pretty good job. And just yesterday, um, I was talking to some police officers about the fact that they need more information about the homeless outreach mm-hmm. uh, in this town because we have a number of wonderful organizations, um, including Exit Zero, the Forgotten Louisville, mm-hmm. Hip Hop Cares. Um, these are fed with faith. These are amazing organizations that provide services. My Dog Eats First provides services to the animals mm-hmm. of the homeless. And, um, and I was telling them, that, you know, you guys need to have more interaction and more knowledge so that when you come upon someone like I did at River Road who was camping and instead of taking him away because somebody called and complained, right. Right. realize that Forgotten Louisville and I have already been down there giving right. him food and teaching him how to, you know, try to find another place. And now he's been moved to a camp and he's in a lot better shape and he may be coming to Bridgehaven. So, you know, those are the things that we need our, our authority uh, figures to be able to meet, you know, not in the clouds, but on the earth. Sure. And talk about how they're going to help us minions. So I'm just curious, because um, you were talking about the portrayal of the police so often these days. And, you know, let's be honest, there, there are many reasons for that. But as you were saying that about the training they're receiving in terms of dealing with mental health crisis issues, um, you know, I'd like to think that, especially in that area, or especially in dealing with homeless people, mm-hmm. you know, the training that they get dealing with these different populations in crisis, mm-hmm. whether the crisis is a health issue mm-hmm. or a homelessness issue or something like that, has, that has got to bleed over into all the rest of their policing as well. Right. So, so any issues about, you know, police violence or whatever you want to say, there's got to be some alleviation that you could expect from that because all of that will slowly make these people who are policemen you can't say you know before you say call them police call them people right you can't help but think that that would humanize 
everybody they deal with. Well, crisis intervention training is not limited to behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. They they give one day of that training period to us uh, in the mental health community to come Mm -hmm. in, and there are a number, seven or eight of us, but there are all kinds of people who come in Mm -hmm. to talk about the CIT, which is it's just fabulous. It really is. Um, so it does. You're absolutely right. It, it's a it's a blanket training mm-hmm. that's going to incorporate so many different aspects of society. Sure. And it will. The, the police officers who came to uh, talk to my little friend down at River Road and who talked to my other friend on Frankfurt Avenue and who talked to my other friend on Melwood. And, you know, I mean, somebody said to me, can you get a hobby that doesn't involve people who are homeless or injured dogs? And I said, <laughs> why would I want to? Why would I want to? Yeah. Those are my peeps. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I'm not into gardening and I'm not into, you know, crocheting or nothing, nothing's wrong with gardening and crocheting. It's mm-hmm. just not me. Right. And you know, I'm a people person and, mm-hmm. you know, and people to me are people. Right. You know, I can be sitting having a conversation with the <coughs> <coughs> governor <coughs> and the next minute with someone who's homeless. And frankly, I think I prefer the second sometimes, <laughs> you know? I've met so, a lot of really, really famous people, Paul, mm-hmm. in my life. We could probably just spend the whole time talking about famous people. Really famous people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, speaking of, of the, whole, the, the Holy Father, I was going to say, the, the royal family, the group that I belong to, the mm-hmm. Oregon Singers, did two command performances for Queen Elizabeth mm-hmm. and one for, two for uh, Princess Grace of mm-hmm. Monaco. Wow. And, you know, I interviewed hundreds of celebrities in the years that I was in television. Mm-hmm. And, you know... It doesn't matter. People would say, didn't you get an autograph from these people? Not really, because I really wanted to experience that moment of, you know, clasping their hand, looking into their eyes and saying, mm-hmm. you know, I really love what you do. It's really, it's really been great watching you in the movies or, you know, you just seem like such a fantastic person on and off right. screen, something like that. Um, so, but, you know, honestly, it's the people that you encounter day to day that make the impact on your life. You know, I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time. I think as long as I've been here. And you got to know me really well when you were, you know, trying to massage the pain out of my heart and my body. And because, you know, with with emotional pain comes physical pain and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You have to have the body, body, mind and spirit working together. And, you know, I know you're a fabulous flamenco guitarist. I know that I get by. I know that your wife Diane is a fabulous dancer, and you guys have a great flamenco Louisville. And I know that you do this, and you do massage, and you do other things. And you had me to your house for a Christmas party one time. And I know that you know you have a really lovely home, and there are really cool things in it that <laughs> kind of represent you guys. Mm. And I learn more about you every day. But I, I I also know that there are people that I have sat down and talked to on a picnic bench mm-hmm. at River Road who have nowhere else to go, mm-hmm. who I know even better than I know you. Mm-hmm. And I've only had, you know, a few hours with them. Sure. So it's the quality of the interaction, not the quantity. Mm-hmm. And everybody, everybody has a story to tell. They, and there's always more to the story. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, um, I already gave you my boring spiel before about, you can do it. <coughs> do it about wanting to do this. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I know, we're, we both have little froggies. The air is thick today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that was one of the one of the great revelations to me when I went off to college, um, and first became exposed to oral oral history mm-hmm. work and adaptation work and all this sort of stuff, and got exposed to Studs Terkel, who made a career out of listening to people more mm-hmm. than anything else. And for me, it was it, it was both this massive 
you know, revelation of all that you could do with that, but also this appreciation. I had older parents. Uh-huh. Um, Me too. My families on both sides were from Mississippi, mm-hmm. and we still especially when we were at my grandmother's, still did the sitting out on the porch after dinner thing. Sure. So, which was nothing but people telling stories. Right. Now, it also gave me a good bullshit detector. <laughs> because... That's twice for you, Paul. I'm, are you keeping track? <laughs> put a square jar in here. Um, yeah, really. Give me a buck. But you know, the... Because the, <clears throat> you knew it was all family. Sure. So you knew when they were telling you something that actually happened to them. Uh-huh. And you knew when they were just kind of going off on a creative flight. And sure. Both revealed them, revealed them to you. Um... All right, so speaking of people's stories, I, I do want to get to the most mundane things. Although they're not mundane, and many of them are why you're here, uh, such as where you were born. I was born in a log cabin. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Do not laugh when I tell you that all three of us, my sisters and I, were Miss Beavertons. Do not laugh. I told you not to laugh. It's my, my throat's It's acting. actually a fabulous little city that's a suburb of Portland, which is now in and of itself a, a beautiful metropolis. Mm. It's the home of Nike and Intel mm. and Adidas and Avia and Tektronics and all these wonderful northern Silicon Valley kind mm-hmm. of places. And then the tennis shoe capital of the world, obviously. Um, coming up from Eugene, you know, where, where dear Uncle Bill made the first waffle trainer. But... Um, yeah, I was born in Beaverton, and my great-great-grandmother was a covered wagon baby. So she, my family came over on the Mayflower. My dad had found 14 lines of descent from the Mayflower. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then they came across you know, the plains on, on the so Oregon you, Trail. So you've got the Mayflower and <clears throat> the Oregon Trail in your background. Well, they went from the Northeast you know, down mm-hmm. through here. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got relatives buried in Shelbyville, Indiana. <laughs> Because my parents spent a lot of time going to cemeteries and going to courthouses mm-hmm. and doing all this research. So my great-great-grandmother comes across, you know, in her mother's womb and then born on the Oregon Trail. Hmm. And very few babies survived that. So my family was tough from the word go. Mm-hmm. And I think it was her husband, I've got to remember the great-greats, but who was a revivalist, a revival preacher, mm-hmm. and a politician. Mm-hmm. And I had judges and, attor- had judges and attorneys and politicians in you know, my entire family on my dad's side and a lot of educators and first responders on my mom's side. Mm -hmm. So um, they got to Oregon. My dad was raised there and he and my mom met in the Navy in World War II in Livermore because mother was in the Navy as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then they moved around because daddy worked for Dun & Bradstreet. So they had several different cities they lived in, but they ended up back in Beaverton and I was born there Mm -hmm. and raised there. And the first 23 years of my life, I spent there which I absolutely loved. I, I now is when I'll confess I have not been to the Northwest. Oh my God, you gotta go. <clears throat> it's gotta go. It's very high up on the list. We just had yep. a friend move over. Oh, not to Vancouver, but British Columbia or somewhere, Washington. Somewhere. Well, over over in, into Canada. Oh yeah, so, Vancouver, British Columbia. But it's it's somewhere close by Victoria. Oh gosh, there, it it doesn't matter. It's all yeah. <laughs> it's all beautiful. But and that's our thing. It's like well, yeah. here's the here's the excuse yeah, there to go, go out there, there and then go. we'll see how many days we spend. Yeah. So when you were growing up there, this was the pre Nike pre tech days. What what. I, when, I, when I think of it that was area, actually happening then. I mean, Tektronics was there from the time I was born. Okay. Nike came along very quickly because I ran in waffle trainers the whole time I was, you know, living there, really. Yeah. 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 So, and so all the electronics and, and all that kind of stuff, that was sort of post-World War II? 
It started when it to really be. went. Yeah. yeah. Well, when it when it started to explode was when we went from you know the industrial era mm-hmm. into modern times, mm-hmm. and we really experienced it in Oregon in like the nuclear uh, the nuclear test phases mm-hmm. when we started to get into the Cold War. Mm-hmm. That's when it became really important because right. we knew that it was not going to end up just being you know mechanical stuff. It was going to have to be the little tiny boards, <laughs> you know, the little chips. Tektronix made chips. Right, right. You know, now when you and I think about chips now, they're microscopic. And I'm sure that Tektronix chips were much bigger. But these were those big. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, but I think you were going to ask me something about growing up in, in Oregon. And what I wanted to tell you was it was an extremely um, progressive town mm-hmm. in Portland and in Beaverton. And it also was uh, multiple layers of climate. Mm-hmm. So you went from... Did you get water in your eye? Mm-hmm. You okay? I'm good. I, a, <clears throat> I thought you were going to spit on me. Or as the something. saying goes, I have a drinking problem. Exactly. Um. Me too. <laughs> Funny. So um, you start at the ocean, and we have a maritime climate in Oregon because mm-hmm. the Japanese current flows in mm-hmm. from you know the the islands and, and out in the Pacific, and you've got this really warm mm-hmm. water. So you know, water heats and cools um, a little bit quicker than than land. Right. And so, uh, back, go backwards on that one. Rewind. So we don't, we don't have a lot of change in climate. You know, you've got your fifties and then you've got your fifties and Mm -hmm. here we've got nineties and twenties, you know, or worse. Mm -hmm. And so you go from the ocean to the first coast range and then you have this verdant Willamette Mm -hmm. Valley. And then Mm -hmm. you've got the Cascade range where the volcanic ring of fire is where Mm -hmm. you've got Mount Hood, Mount St. Helens, Mount Rainier, and then you go into the shadow, the rain shadow of the Eastern Oregon Desert. Hmm. So it's fabulous because you can do so many things. And you've got the Columbia River Gorge where some of the best wind sailing in the world is, which unfortunately took a huge beating from forest fires this last year. Hmm. Here, it's different. You know, it's a, it's a lot different climate-wise, and it's a lot different. You can't you can't do all the same things because we're landlocked, obviously. Sure. But um, but Oregon is a wonderful outdoorsman's place. I mean, outdoor person's place, and uh, you should definitely go if for no other reason than just to drive mm-hmm. and see it, mm-hmm. because you you will it's it's visual splendor. Yeah. It's what the true eye candy is. <laughs> you would be called eye candy Aww. on your, on your beautiful wife's arm. She would be eye candy on yours. We are, we are co-candies. You are co-candies, co-candies. but Oregon is eye candy. That would outclass us all. And it smells great. <laughs> it smells so good. You smell the pine uh-huh. everywhere you go, you know, cause we have tons of conifers and you just you've got those memories you know you smell apples and you smell mm-hmm. pears and mm-hmm. you immediately go right back to mm-hmm. you know the the orchards that <coughs> i grew up in so it's one of the things i miss from home is uh, <coughs> i was going to say you know prior it had been up in that area all about maritime industry and right. about logging right? right which i can't say that i know a lot about the maritime stuff i was an hour and a half away from the gulf of mexico but we were at the sort of beginnings of the far western end of the great pine forest, mm-hmm. you know, of the southeast, which, of course, by the time I was born, was more like the great pine nursery right. for all the replanting. Right. But, you know, walking through stands of giant pine trees and having that, like you said, that smell. Yeah. And the, cl- and the clarity of the, the air. and yeah. oh, I, I love Mississippi. That. My nephew lives there in Columbia. 
that's where all my dad's people are from. Oh my God. He, yeah. yeah. You probably, they probably know each other, which is really <laughs> funny, but you know, he, he and his beautiful wife and, and my great nephew and my great niece Fields mm-hmm. and Katie Sykes live there. And, um, and they just have a wonderful family relationship with mm-hmm. all of their friends and some relatives. His father had a, had his family there hmm. and they literally, he grew up on a plantation. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had so the family was cotton sex. picking people. Yeah, sure, you know I won't even use the words, but yeah. they were there for their their lives, mm-hmm. and uh, so. But he has decided that he wants to make his life there, and he's he's done a wonderful thing. And you know, when you when you talk about, um, I was just thinking the other day. Every day, it seems like I have some sort of flashback, a visual memory of being at the Oregon coast mm-hmm. and being in the beach house mm-hmm. that my dad built with his two hands, and I helped him looking out at the ocean. And hearing mother putting the kettle on for a cup of tea mm-hmm. and, you know, hearing daddy downstairs chopping wood for the, the Franklin stove that we had. And I just have these, you know, these ephemeral moments mm-hmm. that you, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if everybody else does that, but it's like, it's amazing how our brains work mm-hmm. because we're living in the past. We're living in the present. We're living in the future all at the same time, right. which is just amazing to me. I heard a scientist say recently, <clears throat> he was asked, do you think we'll ever actually be able to travel through time and he said we already do yeah heck yeah and he was saying the same thing about you know that, that ability to project forward that mm-hmm. ability to remember the past like that it's just too often we're not in very good control of it but <clears throat> well you know, and, we, and you know if you're in 12-step programs that you have to live in the present mm-hmm. because if you're looking in the rearview mirror you're going to crash into whatever's in front of you <laughs> and if you're only looking straight ahead right you know, you won't be able to enjoy the day that you're in. Mm-hmm. And and I have found that to be very true because I have a tendency to catastrophize. Mm-hmm. And this is part of mental illness too. And by the way, depression and anxiety are mental illness. Mm-hmm. And people think, you know, oh, you've got to have schizophrenia to be mentally ill. No, you really don't. Yeah. And there's a, there's a huge spectrum of, of illnesses. But the, the number one uh, category of people who come in to Bridgehaven for services are the, the people with depression. Mm-hmm. Like 31% of the mm-hmm. people have depression and anxiety. And honestly, and you know this also from, you know, especially from dealing with me, I'm a perfect, you know, sto- uh, case study. Um, anxiety is worse than depression mm-hmm. for me because you're in a constant state of fight or flight, right. hypervigilance. Right. And people who have anxiety never have to worry about being stuck in bed with the covers pulled over their heads because they're way too anxious <laughs> and they have to get up and keep moving. So I just jiggled all the time. I jiggled mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stop. And I would smoke constantly mm-hmm. because that was something to do. Oh, sure, and sure. I would talk on the phone constantly. So I'm smoking and I'm talking on the phone and I'm jiggling and I'm doing all these things at the same time. No wonder I couldn't sleep. No wonder I couldn't take a nap. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it makes me think too, I had the resources to get medication. I had the resources to go to treatment. I have the ability to count on a, a wonderful, I don't have any family here. And I have family here. Mm-hmm. My friends mm-hmm. are my family. And to have that is, is to enable recovery. Right. So, you know, and, and I don't know how the other people in this world who don't have those things mm-hmm. survive. And, you know, we don't say commit suicide because it implies that there's a, a sin about it. There's a problem. You know, you commit a crime. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same. So right. oftentimes they'll say they suicided. Right. Or they took their lives. Right or something that is less penalizing Mm -hmm. of that person. Mm -hmm. Because you also know, as you said, when someone is homeless, there's gotta be something going on in the brain Mm -hmm. that may not, you know, be quite firing in the right direction. You know that when someone takes their own lives, that everything is not firing. Right. And that's, 
that's where I get into it with people who say people who kill themselves are going to go to hell. Because I remember when I was a kid, I was in high school, and uh, my sister's class had a young woman who jumped off what they called then Suicide Bridge. Hmm. And she stepped out of her shoes and jumped Mm -hmm. onto the expressway below. Mm -hmm. And we were all afraid of what Father Gerasi was going to say, because he was the old priest at St. Cecilia's. And we didn't know if he was going to bury her out of the Catholic Church or not. Right. And, of course, we ended up having the Mass, and the girls from St. Mary of the Valley, where I went to school, sang the choir Mm -hmm. where she had gone to school. And it chokes me up to think about it. But I remember Father Drossi standing there during his sermon, his eulogy, and he said, Joanna stepped out of her shoes and stepped into the arms of God. Hmm. And what a beautiful eulogy to her and to her family. And what a relief to oh all God, of us, yeah. you know, because, and, and I was at Skyland Trail, a guy that I had been there with, who I thought was doing so well, you know, and after I graduated, he called me a few times, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him, we exchanged voicemails a few times, and then I didn't hear from him again, and one day a girlfriend called me, and she said, Tara, Chris jumped off the expressway overpass, and was killed on I-85, you know, I mean, there's no worse traffic, I think, in the universe than Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I couldn't believe it. But then I found out, too, and I had learned this, that when people make a plan and they know that they're going to take their lives, then everything's okay. Then right. The pressure's off, right. and they can be happy. They found a solution. There is, and it's what they call a, a permanent solution to a short-term problem, mm-hmm. it's, which is kind of flip. But it really is, because sure. if you have the opportunity to get help, then, you know, you don't have to get to that point. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, a lot of people don't get that help. 75,000 Louisvillians right now are in desperate need of mental health and can't get it. Mm. Mental health help. Sure. Can't get it. Yeah, it's interesting when I think about so many of the links between mental health issues, between addiction issues. Yep. So much of it always comes back to the same thing. There is some, <clears throat> there's some incredible pain that the individual, usually isolated, yes. is trying to cope with, trying to deal with, trying to overcome if possible. Um, and we just seem to, and this is true, I mean, I don't think we're completely unique, but America has its own twist on these things. We, we're really bad at helping people in pain. Mm-hmm. We're really bad at knowing how to help them with pain, it seems. And it all comes back to that. And that's one of the reasons, when you, when you were talking about earlier about the uh, the link between body and mind and trying to find ways to deal with some of that through things like body work and, mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. You know, it's... Gratuitous plug. Not, <laughs> not gratuitous at all. We're sitting right here. Um, but it's... He's a great massage therapist, guys. Oh, thanks. But it is, it is it, to me, one of the things that's like so direct. Right. You can't even make a metaphor out of it, really. Right. Is something like massage work. Yep. Where it's you're trying to, at least for an hour... Help somebody know that they're not alone, that they're not isolated. That's it. Yep. 
it's that magic of touch. Mm-hmm. I walk into Bridgehaven and it's so exciting for me because every day I walk in and I see, I walk into the lunchroom because I usually get there right around the time lunch is served mm-hmm. and all these arms go up from the <laughs> tables, you know? And, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get all these hugs. This yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Whereas somebody walking with me one day said, oh my God, look, they all want to hug you. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting the hugs. Yeah. They want me to hug them, but I'm getting the hugs. And and I remember, um, you know, very clearly the guests who come to meet uh, the folks at Bridgehaven and who come to see what we do and mm. how we do it are always so impressed with the fact that, you know, all the staff knows all the members' names, mm. every single person. Mm. And there's a lot of positive physical, you know, affection. Sure. And there are a lot of people who've had trauma that prevents them from wanting to be touched or sure. wanting to be sure. hugged or whatever. So mm-hmm. you, you have to ask, you know, would you like a hug? Can I give you a hug today? Mm-hmm. And 99% of the time the answer is yes. And sometimes they just shake their heads or walk sure. away. And staff does this too. You know, <laughs> my office mate will say to me, do you want a hug? And I'll say, no, not no. really. <laughs> not today. <clears throat> but you know, we've gotten really <laughs> serious here. And we're talking about a, a very serious subject in mental health. And, um, you know, I think maybe we should we should just kind of say you can learn more by going to bridgehaven.org and you can find out more from, you know, NAMI and all the different organizations mm-hmm. that are out there and go to our Facebook page and find out more and get involved in doing something to help yes. and, and be grateful mm-hmm. every moment of mm-hmm. every day if you are not touched. But I guarantee you someone you know is. Mm-hmm. And now we can talk about Puppy Pack Adventures. Well, I was going to say real quick too, <laughs> and I will make sure and put links up on the show page yes, for that. Yes, that would be great. Uh, because it's stuff, like you said, that touches everybody one way or the other. Yes. Keep saying touch in all these different contexts. Yeah, well, there you go. But it's true. It's true. One aside, um, one of the most heartbreaking <laughs> corrections that I've had in years, um, we were working at a community center, and most of the kids were grade school to middle school mm-hmm. age, I guess. And there were a couple that you could just tell they just needed affection yeah period absolutely and so at one point <clears throat> one of little kids had had put their head in diana's lap i think and diana was doing what she does with the rabbit you know just yeah. petting it and the person who was sort of our our staff person a minute later took us off to the side and she's like we have i, I hate to do this but we have really strict rules about you know any physical contact with the kids and i get it yes i get it you have to protect the children if you right. protect anything right but wow what we've you know, one more thing that makes it so difficult yeah. to negotiate that basic human need. The hug, last thing I'll say about the hugs, um, this happened to me recently. I am, in spite of, you know, we can all say what our parents did and, did, didn't, did and didn't to do for us. Mm-hmm. But I had very physically affectionate folks. They were huggers mm-hmm. through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily we had some kissers in the family, but they were distant and I didn't have to see them very much. But, you know, the typical <laughs> sort of, mm, you grew so much. Yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, it's an, it's a strong aspect of who I am. And as I got older, I started realizing not everybody wants a hug. Um, this was especially That's true. so hard for me. <clears throat> it's awful. <laughs> I cannot comprehend that. So I f- Why don't you want to hug me? Really? I'm good What's at it. Come on. with you? Um, but I finally, and this has been only relatively recently that I started just going, may I? Is it yeah, okay? exactly. And most people are like, well, yeah, of course. And then every once in a while you get somebody who goes, no, like, okay great I well get and this that. is something that um i've read this i read this article <clears throat> too long ago about never 
force especially mm. a little girl mm. to be mm. affectionate because oh. that's teaching her that if someone is asking for a hug that she has to give it that to they're them. entitled to creepy it uncle frank you mm-hmm. know or you know the the pedophile down the street or whatever mm-hmm. you just don't want to do that so right. when i'm talking to a child if i you know crouch down and i'm talking to a child in the it's like with a dog, the same thing. The parent is trying to go, come on, come on, get up here, you know, say hi, give her a hug. And I was just like, no, 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 no. I don't want to give her a hug. I don't want her to right. have to give me right. a hug. And the dog, you know, I'm like, don't make him come up to me. Just if he wants to come up, sniff my hand, if then the we'll go on. The dog doesn't want it. And, and the other thing, before we move on to Puppy Pack Adventures, because it has <laughs> something to do with it, but the gentleman that I met uh, recently down at River Road, the dogs and I were down there doing our daily thing, you know, mm-hmm. walk a mile and a half, two miles and, and have fun. And when they saw him, they ran over to him and just started kissing him and mm. jumping up. And he was so excited, you yeah. know, and as they were licking his face, the thought occurred to me, I bet that's the most physical touch mm-hmm. and attention and affection that he's had in a long time because mm-hmm. he's a military veteran. Right. Uh, HIV positive mm-hmm. and and I know the next question somebody will, oh how could you let your dogs lick someone who's HIV positive aren't they going to get AIDS and it's like no dogs don't get HIV FYI but that's not the point the point is this man received unconditional love right. from my three dogs mm-hmm. and I can't be happier mm-hmm. because they've walked with me through my journey mm-hmm. of terrible life-threatening depression and frankly there's there's no one who has done more for me in this time of the last few years than those three yeah. dogs. Shout out to your quick, uh, quickly to your dogs. Their names yeah. are? Brady, Gracie, and Wyatt. Thank you. You're welcome. And I will let you talk about Puppy Pack in just one second, though. Last thing, as you were saying this, and you made that connection for me we right there. We can be tangential, whatever. <laughs> I am nothing if not um, <laughs> in every phase of my life. Um, but I would not have made this connection until you just did it for me right there. You know, that <clears throat> connection between the kids, especially the little girls who yeah. have said, you got to go hug, you got to go kiss. Yeah. Um, in the same respect for dogs, um, I just realized that I carry a permanent reminder of what happens when you try to make another living thing do what it doesn't really want to do. This little scar above my lip I got when I was about four. Was it a little girl or a little dog? Uh, <laughs> good question. <laughs> no, it's like... Because um, we could call them both <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> Actually, the you know that great scene from Jaws when they're sitting around the table in the boat comparing oh, yeah. scars? Yeah. And he pulls down, uh, what's his name, Dreyfus, pulls <laughs> his shirt up and goes, you know, Mary Sue, whatever. Yeah. She broke my heart. Yeah. <laughs> those I carry on the inside. Yes. But this was my great aunt and uncle's dog. We were mm. out uh, in the country outside Baton Rouge visiting for Thanksgiving or something like that. And I was outside playing with the dog. And Do you remember what kind of dog it was? I know that he was... Uh, it was a mixed breed. He was, oof. Probably a cur of some sort. Um, one of the one of the black and browns, not the Doberman, but the, this will come to me in a minute. That's okay. But a mixed breed. Yeah. And typically a sweet dog. But anyway, so they, they left me out there in the front yard, and I had my baseball or something. I think it was part rot yeah. and then part something else. Mm-hmm. And he used it mostly as a, as a hunting dog, whatever the mix was. You know. So sweet dog, actually. So I'm out there with my baseball, and I'm four years old, and I'm trying to get this dog to play fetch. Oh, my God. A dog that has no inclination right. or, or desire right. to play fetch with this rotten little smelly four-year-old. <laughs> and I still remember I have got mad and pushed him. 
And t- this is what I think happened. I think he just meant to wheel around and snap at me. Yeah. Basically saying, go the hell away from me, kid. Yeah. And he was closer than you realized. And he caught me right there on the lip. Yeah. And the, the you know, edge of the eye. Yeah. Lots of blood, lots of crying. Well, of course. Nothing wrong. Right. I got this little scar. That was it. A couple of butterfly stitches. Um, unfortunately, this was back in the day when, um, when uh, uh, vaccines for, for rabies were not as common. Right. And the test for rabies was have to put them down, test the brain tissue. Right. I still feel bad <laughs> about that dog to this day. But, you know, don't make somebody else do something they don't want to do. And, you know, they call them living amends. And mm. to, to rid yourself of the pain that you've carried all your life mm. from that dog um, who acted in, in self-defense against the little turkey that you were, um, <laughs> you was. know, do something kind for another animal. Always. You know, go and walk a dog at Louisville Metro Animal Services mm. or post, uh, go into feeder supply like I do on Sunday afternoons mm. and post pictures of the dogs who are available for adoption mm-hmm. to further, you know, spread their, their words and their, you know, their feelings and everything else that are depicted on those little blue cards. Yeah. I need playtime and lots of belly rubs, you know, <laughs> spread those words out there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and do those kind things. And, you know, hope, hopefully some alleviation or amelioration of those feelings will occur. And we'll also put all that up on the show notes, too, for anybody out there who's carrying the same kind of guilt that I'm carrying. Or sadness, you know, or, or loss. A loss. Because yeah. people will remember. I, I lost King, who was my childhood dog, when I was 21 years old. And, you know, I still tear up when I, when I talk about him or tell stories about him. Because mm-hmm. you don't lose that. You spend more time with your dogs than you do with any members of your family. At least I do. Mm-hmm. You know, and my mother died in October. And it was horrible. It was a horrible very sudden, very unexpected <laughs> death. Although she was 97, wow. she was in extraordinary condition. I and forgot. as I said, she's a, you know, she was a World War II veteran. Mm-hmm. But I think, and, and it sounds probably terrible to people who don't <laughs> know dogs, but I think that I worry more and, and anticipate with terrible uh, anxiety more the death of Brady, Gracie, or Wyatt because they're with me every minute of mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. that I'm in the house and then we're out and we're doing things and you know the the, the pet industry is multi billions of dollars mm-hmm. in the United States and many many billions worldwide but we do spend such a huge amount of time and we do anthropomorphize our animals. Oh, completely. I'm a total anthropomorphizer. You listen to my, my podcast and you know, you know, Brady says, I just don't want to have that happen to you, mommy. I really don't want you to anthrop- 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 anthropomorphize. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> why? why? It sounds like a 14-year-old boy whose voice is changing and uh, he's the creative director of Puppy Pack Adventures. And he likes very much to have his input received with gratitude. Gracie is the spiritual leader of Puppy Pack Adventures, and she spends a tremendous amount of time praying for all the little heathen puppies who go to the park (laughs) on Sunday instead of going to church. So that's pretty much anthropomorphizing, in my opinion. I think think you've gone a step beyond, actually. Probably. But that's okay. And there's a lesson learned in every in every puppy pack adventure. All right, so going to puppy pack adventures, mm-hmm. since you have brought it up now at least four times I and know. I've tried to ignore Good you. Good Lord, man. Tell us a little bit. When I first adopted Gracie, my best friend and I uh, actually adopted Lucy and Gracie at the same time, so they were Thelma and Louise, 
two little girls who are so funny. And they're both about the same size, 22 pounds. Lucy's a little uh, Karen Terrier mix, and Gracie's a Beagle Jack Russell mix. And they all came from, you know, rescues. Mm -hmm. But we don't say we rescued them because they really rescued us. And so my sister and I were talking one day, and she said, and I got a second dog. That was Brady. Very shortly thereafter. And then I had a foster failure with Wyatt, Mm -hmm. meaning I fostered him and I failed to take him back. (laughs) (laughs) Because he bonded with the other dogs so much. So my sister said, you know... You, got, you should do some sort of children's book. Yeah. Now, this is 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So think about this. What our reference point is for children's book podcast, <laughs> children's book paper, <laughs> electronics. You should do a children's book, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we got into the really deep area of you should do a children's book with a CD that has the voices on it. God, it's like just cracking up listening to it. So, so I started to think about it. And then life got in the way and I was working 80 hours a week and I was, you know, I mean, I had worked 80 hours a week, which is why I didn't have a dog for 25 years because I didn't want to do that to an animal. So I had done all these things and I was still working a lot when I, when I had the first two. And I, I remember very clearly saying, I would love to do something like that, but I just don't know when I can. And then you know, I got into the depression and that was a good three years out of my life. And I'm still working on my recovery every day and things have gotten easier, but it's still, um, you know, it still had put things on hold for a long time in many areas of my life. And when I, when I actually started to realize I have to do this because the puppy pack as it exists now will have reached the end of their natural lives if I don't get off my butt and start doing something. Mm -hmm. And I was so thrilled because mother got to see the puppy pack adventures come to life she had her own (laughs) t-shirt we had pictures taken it was just marvelous (laughs) and so it's a it's a fun podcast and i give um we all the four of us have a conversation and uh, as a matter of fact brady felt the need to talk about his grandmother's death and so we have a puppy pack adventure talking talking about losing our grandmother Mm -hmm. um but there's a lesson learned at the end of every podcast and it's not for children it's for everyone Mm -hmm. You know, so that's what that's what I love more than anything is being able to give to people. Mm-hmm. And we do our adventures when we're walking at River Road or we go to the Parklands of Floyd's Fork or we're walking around the neighborhood and mm-hmm. I've got my little phone and I'm just talk, talk, talking and four different voices and everybody thinks <laughs> I've lost it again. Oh, Tara, here's a one way ticket back to Skyland Trail. <laughs> You just tell people you're not doing anything different than Fred Rogers did <clears throat> well, in his neighborhood. Pretty and this much. is your neighborhood. Pretty so. much. It is my neighborhood. Are we done? What? Are we done? No. Oh, good. I was just checking. You were kind of like shifting and like getting ready to turn some buttons on this elaborate for you've got like this bat cave set up in here. I mean, just envisioning it, you know, he's got a four monitor console. He's got a chair that he can lean back in and it's got all these controls all over the handles of this chair. It's quite amazing. And he puts a piece on his head that shows like a VR in the front. So he's looking at me through virtual reality glasses. And you know, there's a guy who's standing outside the door so people cannot come in. I was going to say, don't forget the valet. I I promise I won't. And bodyguard. Because you are he doesn't like to all talk that. About that but. You are all that, Paul. You really are. <laughs> yeah, so it's a marvelous setup. I just love it. And uh, thanks for the, the ride over here in the limo and no you know, the caviar. The part when the wall disappears right before you drive into it, wasn't that great? It was. Uh, and, you know, actually, part. I saw this really cool video today that you'll probably find on <laughs> Facebook. It's in the kitchen. It says, look at this lovely kitchen counter island. Mm-hmm. 
and he pushes back the stone top of the island and he opens the gate and you walk down the stairs into the wine cellar i'm like that is the coolest thing i have ever seen how clever how many of us don't want something like that though I, and oh, I, I started yeah. to say how many little boys but i know actually as many women who want this as, as guys <clears throat> you know the the sliding everything from the sliding bookcase to you know the subterranean layer with all oh, the good yeah. stuff wow Gosh. You know, when I was doing the home show, I did Louisville's Best New Homes for 19 years. I on didn't WHS. realize you did that long. Yeah. Wow. It was an awesome show. And there were builders in the later years, particularly, who used to build the hidden rooms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you'd, you'd literally slide the bookcase yeah. to the side, and there would be these wonderful rooms with bunks and, mm-hmm. you know, fireman's poles that went down to the next floor, <laughs> all this crazy stuff. And it's like, oh, my God, this is what I love more than right. anything. I'm like, I'm like... Wyatt, I'm a 14-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. I love to play laser tag. You know, I love to go running. I mean, Paul, I have to tell you this story. If you didn't see it on Facebook, I'm going to have to tell you. Please. I will throw my life in the line to take, you know, to rescue a dog from traffic or whatever. And I have been accused of driving backwards or going down a one-way street or squealing around corners to keep up with a dog that's running. I, I really... I really do violate a lot of traffic laws in the pursuit of a, of a runaway dog. However, that's understandable. one day, and these are not my dogs, mind you. One day I was standing on my street and I see a great big German shepherd running down the middle of the street. And so I had the dogs and I threw them inside the gate and I grabbed one of their leashes and took off running after this dog. And my neighbors were watching me and they're like, where's she going? <laughs> I don't know, whatever she's doing. Mm. So I raced down and, you know, where the Peterson Duminal house is, mm-hmm. right? The historic home. And I come around the corner and I see that doggone thing skedaddling across the yard of the Peterson Duminal house. And there's a bunch of utility workers and they're all looking and they're going, wow, wow, look at them. And they see me coming and they're like, what are you doing? I said, catch <laughs> that dog, catch it. And they said, well, what are you going to do with it when you catch it? I said, <laughs> I'm going to take it back to its family. What the heck do you think I'm going to do? And the guy looks at me and he goes, ma'am, that's a coyote. (laughs) (laughs) I did not see that on Facebook. Yeah. So later that day, it was National Geographic Day for Tara, because later that day I was on my way to Frankfurt for Bridgehaven to learn the term Mm -hmm. medically fragile, which Mm -hmm. was important. However, I stopped at Wadi Petona, which I like to call it, and got some which, gas, which it is. And I still think the sign needs to be changed back. I know. Yeah. And even though it's two separate cities, we like to refer to it as one because it's funnier that way. So I get out, get my gas, get my sandwich, and I'm driving out of the parking lot when I see a goat in amongst the semis. And I think, holy smoke, that goat is going to get run over. So I stop my car, jump out, grab the goat by the horns, thinking I will walk this little goat across the street to that farm where I'm certain it belongs, Mm because it doesn't belong in a gas station parking lot. That doggone thing butted me. He butted me hard. So then a guy works, works at McDonald's. He comes out and he says, I have a lot of goats in my country. I can help you. I'm like, great. Next thing I know, the guy's in the bed of a pickup truck, and the goat is on its hind legs, you know, rearing up, ready to kill him. I'm thinking, great, you got a lot of goats in your country. Obviously, you have no idea what to do with them. <laughs> so now we've had two more coyote sightings. One very close to my home mm-hmm. and one down on Grinstead, which is close to, you know, Crescent, it's part mm-hmm. of Crescent Hill where mm-hmm. we live. 
And, um, and I, I hear from our Metro Council person, Bill Hollander, that there's a family of coyotes. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, in the same area is a, an encampment of people who are homeless. Hmm. So there you, you have to start thinking, hmm, is this a friendly collaboration? <laughs> Or do they keep at each other at arm's length? Right, right. And then the, the guy at River Road, this all kind of, you know, turns around. The guy at River Road's down there sleeping on a picnic table, and he says, you know, they weren't, they weren't scary at all. They were just curious. They just, mm-hmm. they just came out and looked at me. And I'm like, yeah, and they were assessing which part of you they were going to have for dinner. Now, I, I have to... We've got a lot of coyotes, I have Paul. to take a moment, though, and say that coyotes typically pose no threat to people. Typically, typically, is the word. well, you know, my next door neighbor poses a threat to me if he gets hungry enough. I mean, it just <laughs> this is true. No offense, Jack, but um, <laughs> and I'm talking about the three year old too. Um, but uh, so I also, you're talking uh, about Peter Searcy. Uh, <laughs> Miss Peter, I love Peter. Um, but you know, just as a sort of a little, you know, public service, they are they are typically not a uh, danger to humans, and they are a minimal danger to most pets except the really slow ones. Uh, but um, they're scavengers. They're, they're scavengers. Of course. They're, they're more dangerous to your garbage can than anything else. The first time I saw one in the neighborhood, it was down at, um, what do you call it, Bingham Park down mm-hmm. here. And this was maybe, it's probably been about four years ago now. Mm-hmm. Beautiful snowy day. Yeah. And I was coming up from Brownsboro. Yep. And I saw a family off by the playground. Mm-hmm. And I saw their dog kind of loping across. <laughs> And then, and then I very quickly realized it was not a dog. Yeah. Um, good size coyote, too. They are. Everybody thinks of them as rangy little, you know, scrawny looking dogs. This was not, this was a Brady sized coyote. They are well fed in the city. Well, see, and that's yeah. the whole point. This is why I worry about their temperament, Paul. Mm-hmm. I totally understand everything that you just said, and I agree with you on under normal circumstances. <laughs> However, mm-hmm. you think about the development that has pushed these animals mm-hmm. into the city. Mm-hmm. And the, the flood pushed a lot of them from the river area mm-hmm. up into oh, sure. Crescent Hill. Sure. And so they're under stress. They're mm-hmm. under greater duress than they've ever been under before. And when they're really comfortable with the traffic and they're running down a street in mm-hmm. the middle of the city at 9 o'clock in the morning or, you know, 6 o'clock at night. Now, mm-hmm. they're definitely nocturnal animals and they're, they're you know, pretty early dawn right. to late dusk. But these are not normal schedules. Mm-hmm. And plus, they're, they're encountering a lot of things that, that they would not encounter in the wild, particularly motorized vehicles. But kids on motorcycles, kids on mm-hmm. little razors and skateboards, the little kids who are you know, out playing on their sidewalk, mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of worry about that. And I kind of worry Again, about... Again, it's only the slow ones we have to worry about. <laughs> the- <laughs> Good thing my dogs can run. Uh, you know, and I often think Brady and Wyatt would take anything on. Mm-hmm. to protect me but gracie's the real killer i've genuinely though heard more stories about uh coyotes taking pets out in the country um yeah of than, course than in the city of course because uh, of course they're more they're more desperate out there yeah. um but i one of the most spine chilling spine chilling spine yeah, tingling true. spine tingling or chilling it could chill chilling it spines was, it was a tingly chill mm-hmm, there you go um I was walking out in a field late one night. This was back home in uh, my grandmother's place. Mm-hmm. And I heard that first little yelp off in oh, the distance. Yeah. And then I heard an answer off in the distance. And it was that classic thing. You know, it's, it's dark. Yelps are getting closer. Yeah. Now, were they interested in me? Were they hunting me? Probably not. 
Um, I mean, that was definitely in my fat period when I was like 12. <laughs> you would um, have been a tasty morsel. I would have been, so. been a meal. But I think that was just one of those the things. The Rottweiler didn't get enough of you. you know, <laughs> just a taste. Um, but it was. But there's that pack mentality. Oh, yeah. You know, and they're planning. They are. It's kind of like those creatures in the Hunger Games. Do you remember the story? Do you remember when they were talking to each other and they were pack yes. hunting? Yes. Jennifer Lawrence. And, uh, and it's the same kind of communication. Mm-hmm. They have an amazing telepathy that goes on mm-hmm. when you're trying. It's kind of like a basketball team. You know, you're trying to accomplish a goal. Sure. And you've got sure. the body language and you've got the signals and all those different things that, that, you know, athletes use to pull together. And, you know, congressmen do the same thing. You know, like body language chirping that's going on, you I know. I would rather be in a room full of coyotes. Smells. <laughs> certain smells um and what's fascinating is and a lot of this there, there's a little bit of gen- genetic uh basis they Absolutely. know that this is happening but yep. you know the whole thing of the wolves and the coyotes mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. interbreeding they say it's not happening a lot but again heard one scientist say that one of the things that he's interested in is if you get the favorable traits on both sides because mm-hmm. wolves are you know masterful at that sort of yes. pack yes. communication like um, in harry potter See, we've got all these cultural references that, you know, you and I are coming yeah. up with. Um, do you remember the professor who, his onomagus was the, the werewolf? Sure, sure. You know, so he would be normal, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden he would be rising into this mm-hmm. gigantic seven-foot creature right. who was a werewolf. And then he would come back into his body, and he would be exhausted, and he'd be covered with scars. And, you know, and Sirius Black, who was the dog who protected the kids, you know, oh, my gosh. all these. But, so here's the thing. Yes, Back to regular domestic pets. Yes. In spite of all of our stories about coyotes and wolves and everything else, we have so many hundreds of thousands of animals loose on the streets of Louisville. Don't Mm -hmm. even think I'm kidding when I say Mm -hmm. that. Hundreds of thousands of loose animals who are not cared for. Now, there are community cats, which Mm -hmm. they used to call ferals, who live in colonies. Some people care for them, feed them. Sure. There's an organization called Alley Cat Advocates, and Mm -hmm. they do trap, neuter, return, so that they will stop the proliferation of cats. Uh, There are so many rescues in this town. I won't even begin to enumerate them, but the one that I particularly feel sorry for and admire all at the same time is Louisville Metro Animal Services Mm -hmm. because it's what used to be called the pound. It's the city shelter, and they're responsible for keeping us safe from the possibility of, of dogs wandering who may not be domesticated properly sure. or who may, you know, have an illness or who may be uh, extreme, extremely aggravated by certain things like small children or dogs and, and cause danger. And then there's always the dogs that get away mm-hmm. and run away in a storm mm-hmm. or during fireworks or just slip out the gate. So Ozzie Gibson, who is the, the recent director, the most recent director, has made this a no-kill shelter. Mm-hmm. And what that means is they will not euthanize for time or space, meaning no matter how long a dog is there, no matter how crowded conditions are, they will not euthanize. Hmm. They will euthanize for extreme cases of, of aggression or mm-hmm. extreme cases of illness that cannot be taken care of any other way. Right. And they give every opportunity. So I'm really proud of Louisville Metro Animal Services mm-hmm. for that. And the only other thing that I would say about that is for the love of God and all that is holy, spay and neuter your pets. <sighs> And if you want a litter of puppies, Hmm. go to the shelter and adopt a litter of puppies. But please don't have your own just so you can say that your, you know, your kids got to experience the live birth of nine to 11 more difficult to place dogs. 
You know, just go get, just mm-hmm. go and volunteer. Watch puppies being born. Turn on Animal Planet. <laughs> Don't get your dogs <laughs> pregnant. I'm serious. This is just, it's such a it's such a thing with me mm-hmm. because no, you know, it be. I've seen dogs euthanized. I've been in the room. It's excruciating. It's the most horrible experience. I've, I would rather see someone killed in a prison than to watch a dog be ever, ever be euthanized again. Um, and so, you know, to not allow that overpopulation problem mm-hmm. to create the euthanasia mm-hmm. outbreak that has had taken over the United States in the last couple of decades yeah. because of our overpopulation problem, just please don't let it happen. Yeah. It's a huge problem. I know a lot of people who, uh, you know, the, this whole th- trend of the last you know decade or so of, of the uh, designer pups, oh, especially the ones that I always say. Stop me now. I, I always say that the only reason they want them is because it's cute names when you put them together. Yeah. Uh, I don't get it, especially, again, because of the overpopulation issue. Um, the cat thing is interesting to me because, when, again, growing up out in the country, we, ha- we always had a bunch <laughs> of dogs. Tons of barn cats. So many cats. Yeah. And my mom was one of those people that anything that came in the yard, she would feed. Sure. So, and she would do the thing with the box of dry food on her, <laughs> on her way down to where she fed. <laughs> so all of a sudden, just heads popping up out oh, of bushes. Yeah. And I remember at one point counting 25 cats coming into the yard, you know, because. I love your mother. Oh, she just would feed anything. Yep. Um, but the first time I thought about some of the negative effects of that, <clears throat> right after the period of the 25 cats, was one of the first times, if not the first time down in there, that the feline leukemia came through. All right. And just decimated the populations. Yeah. And for the first time, I started thinking about <clears throat> all these cats mm-hmm. out there in the world mm-hmm. who didn't really have a home. In right. our case, they had a place you know, to eat. And it just, you know, it spools out from there when you start thinking about yeah. that. Um, and the cat population in the U.S. these days, I forget yeah. what the numbers are. The crazy. estimates are, are crazy. It is crazy. Um, and if you don't like cats, how about if you like birds? The numbers of songbirds, it's in the billions that are killed every year mm-hmm. by cats. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not any reason to get rid of the cats, just let's help make sure there are fewer cats. Well, let me tell you this. Tomorrow on my Take It From Tara Facebook livecast, which mm-hmm. I, I started a few months ago. Could, I'm could you tell us that name again one more time? Take It From Tara. <laughs> Take it from Tara. <laughs> Cree and Hetty, who are two wonderful local musicians here, who are no, not a group any longer, not a duo any longer, but still so close to my heart, wrote a wonderful uh, jingle for me. Take it from Tara. Take it from Tara. Take it from Tara. I loved it. Anyway, <laughs> tomorrow I will be hosting at Second Chances Wildlife Center mm-hmm. a number of babies. And what these people do, and they're so fabulous, Brigitte Brouillard and her, her workers, they will come and rescue baby raccoons. They will come and take you know, an animal that has been injured and make sure that it gets rehabilitated and re- released to the wild. And if they're so Aww. badly damaged that they can't, then they keep them as education animals, mm-hmm. like the zoo mm-hmm. does. But um, I'm going to be doing that, and I'm so excited about going out there because now I'm mobile. I can go anywhere I want, Mm -hmm. and that makes it a lot more fun. So I take my little camera, my little Facebook uh, Live on my phone. I take a tripod and a light and some microphones, and I set it up, and I do, you know, a two-hour show. And it's wonderful because Mm -hmm. it will give people who don't know what to do if they find that injured raccoon. It'll tell them what they can do. And they also were on Nat Geo. They had a show Mm -hmm. for like three seasons. On Nat Geo. 
What was the show? Do you know? I'm trying to remember the name oh. of it, and Brigitte will probably kill me for not knowing. But anyway, it was it was about you know our little rescue here in yeah. in Louisville, Kentucky. So I'm really excited about doing that. And you know, my Facebook lives have consisted of many of the same things we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. We had a panel on mental health. Mm-hmm. We had a panel on gun control and school safety. We didn't even touch on that. <laughs> we'll have to do another show about that. And uh, and we had several family court judges who were mm-hmm. running in a race uh, who came in on a panel. I had a group of of the homeless outreach uh, leaders and the kinds of stuff that you and I are doing right now, we we are just beginning to tap social media. Right. Everybody's talking about how overwhelming Facebook is. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. Facebook living is in its infancy. Oh, yeah. And that's why I've dubbed it a Facebook live cast because it's like a telecast or a Mm -hmm. newscast or radio cast. It is. And it's it's a television show on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so we have the opportunity to bring information. I wish I could make money doing it. I wish, I wish <laughs> that I could pay myself a salary. But this is what I love to do. And right. this is what right. you love to do. So we're giving people an alternative. And you know, podcasting is just everything right now. Your podcasts are long. Mine are five minutes. My mm-hmm. little podcast for Puppy Pack Adventures is five minutes. But you know, it's, it's just like with, with any kind of programming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people only watch 30-minute TV shows. Mm-hmm. Some people will binge watch an entire season of something on Netflix all at one time. I did that with so The Crown. We just did it with uh, the latest season of Troll Hunter. <laughs> which, let me tell you, not just for kids. Are you trolling me? No. <laughs> I got that, by the way. So I'm you telling you what, you know, that what we have right now is an explosion in content. Mm-hmm. And that's the greatest gift that we can have. It is. And it's not just, you know, too often in the past, it was always, well, you can have a lot of stuff or you can have some good stuff. Yeah. And now we've got a lot of stuff and there's a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Ah, it's amazing. Time. I still like a book in my hand, though. Mm-hmm. And I still like to actually, not necessarily our local newspaper, but I still like to feel a newspaper in mm-hmm. my hands. Again, when I was a kid. Um, so the town I grew up in, Bogalusa, was about... What a great name. Means supposedly uh, dark waters. Okay. Um, That's smoky, why you were depressed. Smoky waters. We could dark get, waters. That could be another show. But yeah, and it rained all the time in the Pacific Northwest. I made it for 50 years without getting depressed, and then boom. Boom. Wow. You were fine as long as you stayed in the environment. Bogalusa. But anyway, so the, the, the biggest city was New Orleans, about 70 miles away. Right. And so we got... Um, the Times Picayune, and I love that too. <laughs> That's a famous newspaper. It's a great, was yeah. a great newspaper. Yeah. It's holding on, but yep. um, but I always loved it when the Sunday paper came. Yeah, and you know when we were little, I mean these things would come in and they'd be like eighty pounds of newspaper. Yeah. And, oh my God, that thwack when it was put down on the kitchen table, and like after you got done, like the the all the printing that was all over the place on your hands, and oh, it was great. Did you get comics? Yes. Do you remember yes. when you used to use Silly Putty and you would roll uh-huh. it over the comics and it would imprint on the Silly Putty? Just last year, I think Diana, so Diana cool. and I were talking about how you could, even kids now who have Silly Putty will not know what that was because no. you don't have the newspaper to do it nope. with. Ugh. We'll have to also get together and we'll have to ruminate and remember and reminisce. Just bore the heck out of Things about our childhood that no longer exist. Batman lunchboxes. I never had a Batman one. Oh my God. God, I can't I wanted, believe... I wanted one. The Adam West Batman. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you have a Partridge Family lunchbox? My sister did, actually. Yeah, good for your sister. What did you do? Take ratty old paper bags or what no, did you eat? In fact, I still have these uh, these lunchboxes. Um, I've got, of all things, because, I mean, this is a, this was a little before our time, because we're about the same age, I believe. Yeah. yeah. I have a Gunsmoke one, of all things. Oh, wow. And also yeah. weird for the for the time, I had a Dick Tracy 
I was fascinated Now that's interesting because that's, yeah, that's, that's a little bit before that's either of our way time. back. But you know, that's okay. But again, that was one of those byproducts, I think, of having older parents. Yeah, I was going to say Because our parents were same generation. Yeah, yes. And so what they were into, I was yeah. into. Isn't I, that funny? I have seen every Western ever made because my father. My know. dad was John Wayne. I got to tell you, mm-hmm. we, we rode horses. <laughs> he, he broke horses, although he didn't like to use the term broke. He trained yeah, yeah. from a very young age because he was a logger, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he grew up in Oregon on a farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had a lot of horses in our lives. I had minis when I was growing up. I, we actually had a herd of miniature horses, which are not ponies and right, are not right. regular, but they are miniature horses. And so I'm just um, imagining, you know, there's that sound when a you know, herd of horses mm-hmm. thunders across the field. But <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. Sorry. <laughs> so it's okay. It's a perfect visual. So um, the best part about the horses was that we could get on them and we could ride around the neighborhood and we had a little two-wheeled trap that my dad would hook up one of the minis to mm-hmm. and we would ride all around the neighborhood and the kids would get in and he'd give them rides. And it was so cool. Well, <laughs> he was a masterful horseback rider and he taught my mom to ride. So mm-hmm. the three of us could get on and ride the normal sized horses and me down to the mini. However, uh, when I got my first horse, I was three years old. And the, the second I got on him, he, he mm-hmm. dropped me. Mm-hmm. And so we named him Bucky. <laughs> but my dad said, get back up. Yeah. Get back up there. And I did. And the whole concept of, of horses carried on throughout our lives um, as the John Wayne legend. And we went, we traveled. My mom and dad drove a motorhome all over the country. And so I was with him, and we went to the Dakotas, and we went to Waldrug. Never heard of Waldrug? No. It's a little, it's, it's really now, it's a tourist attraction, but it was a little old ghost town. It was a little old, nasty, broken down little town with mm-hmm. wooden sidewalks. Mm-hmm. And there's, the signage starts, you know, in New York and Oregon. It says, 1,500 miles to Waldrug. <laughs> 500 miles to Waldrug. And so it's just, it's a classic little you know, attraction in the middle of nowhere. Right. But those wooden sidewalks, and I remember the three of us were walking and my mom said, look at your father. (laughs) And he was just positively rolling down those wooden sidewalks with a John Wayne gate, Mm. you know, and I'll never forget that. But it's that kind of of memory when you just said gun smoke, it's like, boom, took Mm. me right back Mm -hmm. to wall drug in the late (laughs) 70s. And my dad with his cowboy hat and boots, strolling down the wooden sidewalk looking for Miss Kitty. I bet our dads would have gotten along well. I think they get along well now. (laughs) If you believe in that. Good point. You know, see what I wear around my neck? Oh. These two beautiful rings Uh nested inside each other as my parents were. And when mother passed away in October, um, my sister gave them to me because mother wore daddy's ring around her neck for 14 Mm. years Hmm. after he passed Mm. away. And then... She put her little ring inside it. And so they're, they're always close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And I always, when somebody dies, you know, and a friend of mine is grieving, I say, you know, I know my parents are there to greet them. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a dog that dies or a cat that dies. I say, my dad's in charge of the animal sector of heaven. You don't have to worry. He'll take care of him until you get there. And that gives me comfort, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I... As always about at this point, I try to tell people, I'm not going to keep you much longer. Mm, that's okay. And I'll I'm, stay and, all day. And then I may or may not. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> I do want to circle back because like I said before we started recording, I'm always curious about just the nuts and bolts bio of folk. I got to tell you this, Paul. This is the first interview that I've had in a long time where I haven't done the interviewing when I was being interviewed. It's good for you. So this is good for me. You're, you're masterful. Oh, <laughs> I'm just... 
I might as well just doing say a here, great job keeping me from taking control of the interview. That requires a little more effort, but um, <laughs> it's true. Circling I'm, back to the bio. <clears throat> circling back to the bio. See, there you go. Just reminding you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That's that's normally my wife's job. You were saying. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Why did you walk in here? Um, circling back to the bio, though. So you grew up in Beaverton. Yes. And you said pretty much born and raised. 23 years. Um, usually for a lot of people, you know, the first sort of departure from home is going off to school. Uh-huh. Did that happen for you? Um, my best friend and I went to University of Oregon. And how far was that from home? Two hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> However, in the first week, I realized I was not going to get a damn thing done. Mm-hmm. And it was because in those days, the late 70s, everybody was smoking pot. Everybody mm-hmm. had gigantic speakers on their <laughs> stereo systems. And everybody stayed up all night drinking and partying. So I just said to her, you know what? I'm not going to get anything done. Mm-hmm. I have extraordinarily high expectations of myself. And I'm not going to stay here and go through this. And plus, we got, late, we got there late to get jobs. Uh-huh. So our jobs were doing the pots and pans in the kitchen. <laughs> And that was exhausting, and my hands were a wreck, and, you know, you couldn't go and socialize because Mm -hmm. you were working. So I just said, I'm going home. And I went home, and she went home with me because she didn't want to stay there alone. Mm -hmm. And we went to Portland State University, Mm -hmm. which was an engineering college at the time, and that's where I got my political science degree. And um, I was in the pageants. I was Mm -hmm. in the Miss America scholarship program at the local and state level. And um, I paid my way through college with scholarships Mm -hmm. and when some smart aleck says to me well that's exploitation of women and i'm saying you can't be exploited unless you want to be (laughs) a and do you have any college loans because i don't (laughs) so i did that and then i decided i had always wanted to go to law school Mm -hmm. and when i was 16 i'm gonna interrupt real quick no i'm just curious before (laughs) we get to to the law school thing though poli sci in the first place was yeah. that just sort of did that just dovetail into or out from kind of where your, your head was already yeah. and well, just the, the, the lawyers and and judges in my family you know my dad oh, was right, an attorney right. we had a lot of that mm-hmm. in the background my grandmother was an attorney she was one of two women who graduated from Willamette University in the early 20s and took the bar and that was extraordinarily mm-hmm. unusual and Good so um, when, when I decided, when I was 16, I participated in a, a program called Girl State, and mm-hmm. the, the counterpart was Boys State. Sure, I did that back home. Good. Mm-hmm. And Bill Clinton was a Boys Stater mm-hmm. and a Boys Nationer, Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. Tom Brokaw, all these names, Diane Sawyer. I mean, it's, it's huge. So um, I should clarify, Diane Sawyer didn't go to Boys State. But <laughs> Well, there it, is that social thing. In 1976, yeah. they combined the two programs nationally and mm-hmm. created Boys Girls Nation because it was the bicentennial. Mm-hmm. So we spent three weeks in Washington, D.C., steeped in our wonderful bicentennial celebration Mm -hmm. and learning about how to create a mythical government Mm -hmm. among ourselves. So I knew at that point that I really, really wanted to go to law school. Okay. So for you, poli-sci was the way to law school? Poli-sci was the way to law school. However, I was accepted to Georgetown University School of Law in Washington, D.C., and I was extremely emotionally young. Mm -hmm. And I had been very close to my family. And although we had traveled the world many times over, mm. I was in the 100,000-mile club from Pan American Airlines before <laughs> I was nine. So I mean, I'm not kidding. That's but, great. but, you know, I still was just really, really emotionally immature. And I had two older sisters, 12 years older than I. So it's no wonder. But I got to Georgetown, and it was like, I just wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. I was not ready to be away. 
And I could do the work, and I was doing the work, but I was miserable. Mm -hmm. So my sister who lived here in Kentucky said, why don't you come live with me for a while, figure out what you want to do. Okay. That was 1983, and they've never gotten rid of me yet. (laughs) So a successful 30-something years in in the media. I got into Mm -hmm. media uh, almost immediately and have had um, just a wonderful life doing what I've loved to do, which mm-hmm. is being on television. Had you, had you done any, um, any media stuff? The pro- pageants afforded sure. me the opportunity sure. to do several things, mm-hmm. but you know, I literally went to work as a result of a cocktail party conversation with a guy who hired me to work at WRKA in the mm-hmm. days that Glenn Beck was there. This was when Glenn Beck was liberal. <laughs> the real Glenn Beck on the morning show at WRKA hmm. uh, with the aforementioned Kathy Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then as a result of doing that radio, I got a call from Ed Godfrey at Wave Television and said, I need a third string weather person because mm-hmm. Tom Wilson and Craig Edwards have built up so much comp time <laughs> that we need somebody to fill in. Sure. So I was trained by the best and then, you know, John Belsky came over from 32. He was living out his non-compete, and he was making maps for me and telling me how to do it. You know, I was, I was green. But as a result of doing that, I got to host the show in the morning with mm. Andy Culpepper. I got to go and do junkets and met all these movie stars. And then I was hired to do The Weather by Hal Stopfel at, at uh, 41. And things just kind of rolled into each other. I worked for the American Bankers Association mm-hmm. doing a satellite television network, Humana Business Television, Hospitality Television, all these things that I never could have imagined doing. Mm-hmm. But because my best friend said to me, you should do what Phil Donahue and Oprah Winfrey do because you're so good at talking to people. Yeah. Well, thank God because I've made a living at it. Mm-hmm. And now I will admit, and it's not an admission, it's a statement of fact, um, I am nowhere near that income level. I have lived at or near the poverty level for the last several years as a result of having to seek treatment right. for my mental health, right. for my depression and anxiety. And thank God I saved. Thank God I saved. And I have a great job part-time at Bridgehaven, and that's why I said I wish I could make money doing this because it would be great. But I'm going to figure out something. <laughs> I'm going to figure out a way to make money doing what I love again, because I've done it before. And, you know, Madonna's reinvented herself 64 times. So why can't I do it twice? Absolutely. But it's, yeah. So, you know, your world changes and and you just have to keep coming back and you have to keep saying, okay, I can start the clock any time of day. I can Mm -hmm. start my day over right now. Mm -hmm. And... I have a, a thing called diurnal variation as a result of the depression. It's you feel really bad in the morning and you get better throughout the day mm-hmm. or you feel great in the morning and then you just decompensate mm-hmm. until the sun goes down. And I used to cry for five hours in the morning and now it's more like, you know, anxiety for 30 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. But now I have the tools. Exactly. I know I can pick up the phone and call someone. I know that I can go out and exercise with the dogs. I know I can listen to a podcast or to, Mm -hmm. you know, the news or whatever to distract my brain, Mm -hmm. work on something that I need to do. And so, you know, just little tidbits of information have changed my life inextricably. But those are the things that come with time Mm -hmm. and you cannot escape the march of time. Mm -hmm. I still feel like I'm in my 30s and I'm in my 50s. You know, I'm a little closer to 60 than I'd like to admit this very moment. But, 
you know, and, and I don't regret uh, a moment of anything I've ever done. My mother's, you know, 97 years on this planet were just spectacular. Mm-hmm. And she said to it's me amazing. the last, you know, 15 years, I'm ready to go anytime because I would like to be with daddy again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm ready to go at any time too, but I don't expect that it will be anytime soon because my mother's genes are so fantastic. <laughs> if I can take care of myself like she did, man, I'm telling you. I'll be here forever. I'll oh, be haunting fantastic. you forever, Paul. Good. <laughs> I'll just keep having you back then. <laughs> Anytime. Tara's here for the 475th time. Um, <clears throat> I would love that. So as you're okay. So as you're going, you can be on my show too. Oh sure. We'll just sit. We'll and, trade. We'll just sit and do this back and forth. <laughs> we'll do the same thing. How about that? We have the same conversation. Do you remember everything <laughs> over we've said? Over and over. I'll consult mm-hmm. the notes later. Good thing we made a record of it. Um, I am curious. All right. So in the midst of all that, yeah, where not only in your career life, reinvention and a certain kind of giving yourself to just the experience of what's happening has been a big part of it, but also in recovery and in day-to-day dealing with everything that is there to be dealt with. Um, do you find on the best possible days that in a strange sort of way, those things have not only been those things have not only given you like this tool set to deal with them individually, but these also kind of turn out to be really remarkable, just tools that everybody ought to have in life. And then somehow we don't get them until we go into crisis. Well, and you know, I've heard people say, and I heard it for years and I couldn't believe they'd say it. I'm so glad I got sick. I'm so glad I was an alcoholic. (laughs) I'm so glad I got mentally ill. You just can't understand why anybody would say that. Mm -hmm. But if I had not suffered from this depression and I mean suffered Mm -hmm. because I did, and I'm grateful that I'm not suffering to that extent anymore. But, and I should say, um, if you don't go through things like that, you never fully know yourself mm-hmm. in my estimation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that I would never have known. Cause you know what? I used to just blow through life. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always been driven to do everything that I can do, pack as much as I could into a day. Nothing ever could stop me. And man, this stopped me cold. Mm-hmm. So to have had the opportunity to be stopped cold actually turned out to be a blessing, not in disguise, very obviously. And I was extremely transparent about it and have been on my social media. Mm. Um, But it taught me so much more about myself. And I feel like if I can um, give that information to just one person that will help them to understand they're not alone because the feeling of aloneness is so intense and you know this because you've said you've experienced mm-hmm. depression as well the feeling of aloneness there's just nothing worse there really isn't well it's one of the ironies of it you know it, it is it is a disease of isolation exactly that just then makes itself curl up that much more tightly well you made that that conversational point earlier of the disease of isolation and i said to you you know if you have anxiety you can't <laughs> stay down. You have to keep moving mm-hmm. and you still can isolate, but mm-hmm. it's much more likely that with anxiety, you're going to go out into the world because you can't sit still. You can't be in your house by yourself. Right. And you know, and the, the two combined are horrendous yet. I see people who are dealing with, you know, a number of different mm-hmm. mental illnesses and then throw in the personality disorders mm-hmm. to make it even mm-hmm. more complicated. Um, and they're still functioning fully. They're, they're working sure. at jobs as they can. They're taking care of families. They're taking care of themselves or their pets. 
Um, you know, they're trying to maintain health. Like, you know, at Bridgehaven, we're doing this stop smoking initiative mm. and we've in introduced new healthy eating classes, which is something that, you know, people with mental illness are typically prone to obesity sure. and die 25 years younger mm -hmm. than most of us do, which is an awful statistic. Right. Uh, so if you can learn to take care of your food and your exercise and stop smoking, mm -hmm. just the basic things that mm -hmm. all of us really should do, whether we have mental illness or not, mm -hmm. um, we have a much better chance at living the life that my mother led. Yeah. You know, it used to be that people died at 30. Mm-hmm. And now people are dying at 90 and 100. And a lot of them are not as lucky as my mother was, but she took care of herself. She never was overweight. She never smoked. She always ate healthily. Mm -hmm. She always exercised. She woke up every morning, whether it was pouring or sunny, and said, isn't it a beautiful day? <laughs> so, you know. And that, I threw in that element too, and this isn't one of those words that gets used too much these days, but that sort of cultivating a good attitude or gratitude, gratitude, whatever you want to call it. The attitude of gratitude. Yeah, I, I, and it really does. It's, all, it's almost been overly trivialized these days, but it, I, don't, I don't think it can be emphasized enough. You have a, you have a choice, right. except in the worst cases of if you're dealing with bad circumstances or mental health issues or whatever, but typically you can, you can put your attention somewhere other than necessarily it's just going to fall on its own. And it has a powerful effect. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I started to do um, a couple of years ago when I was when I was just I was just out of, of treatment and I was you know still suffering on a daily basis with the the effects of the depression and the anxiety, but I was learning how to use my tools to be able mm. to deal with it, and they call it distress tolerance mm. primarily. Um, I started going to mass in the morning, and I'm mm. I'm Catholic, and I've always practiced mm -hmm. my religion and my faith. I should say not my religion because I'm not a religious person. I'm a very spiritual person, mm -hmm. but the Catholic faith has always been important to me. And of right. course, like a lot of other people, you know, I fell out a few years at a time. You sure. know, I'd go away for a few years and come back, but this particular time in my life, I have really needed that focus and that meditation point. And that, that embracing by the little old ladies who go to church every morning. Because, you know, the older you get, the more you think, i got to get right with God, right? <laughs> well, these, these are the women who do all the volunteer work. Right, right. They're the ones who send out all of the literature. They're the ones who plan the funerals. They're the ones, I mean, mm -hmm. they're amazing women. And they've embraced me. Mm -hmm. And when they see my face in the morning and they know it's not a good day, they just put their arms around me and hug me, and they say it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And when I'm smiling, they're like, oh, thank God. We don't have to give her Kleenex today. <laughs> but that's, you know, that spiritual component, whether yeah. you're doing yoga or you're going to, you know, the, the monastery over here on mm -hmm. Hubbard's Lane, a Buddhist monastery, or you're going to, you know, the place that, uh, the Mount St. Francis or whatever it's called, the place, Gethsemane, right. where Thomas Merton right. was, you know. Whatever you're doing, going to church, doing whatever, that spiritual component is such an important part of our life. Mm -hmm. And if you, it's the body, mind, spirit connection again, that holistic health. Absolutely. So if you, if you miss out on any one part of it, I don't think you have the opportunity to be the best that you can be. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're not the best you can be, that's even more important to be able to, you know, weave those things together. And, uh, and I feel like that's, that's what recovery is to me. You know, and I, I feel the same way about the little creatures of the forest, as I always like to say, you know, <laughs> there isn't an animal that I don't 
have some sort of feeling for of compassion, if not just out, outright love. You know, mm -hmm. I feel compassionate for the coyotes. Unfortunately, they just have been forced into a situation that they never bargained for. Right. But, um, you know, I, I feel like every single person who passes by, I was just saying this to somebody today, too. Um, oh, it was you <laughs> just an hour ago. It seems like it was so long ago, but... Um, I remember that, that I said, you know, you can meet statesmen and royalty mm. and, you know, movie stars, yet the simplest interactions that you have with people um, on a daily basis can be so much more significant. I tell you what, Walgreens is the center of the universe here in Crescent Hill, <laughs> as you probably know. It's the focal point. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really pedantic for just one second. Yeah. I know you Crescent Hill people try to claim that You're Clifton, is Crescent Hill. I know. and Walgreens yeah that's Clifton that's ours well let me just that's tell right. you Walgreens is <laughs> the center of my universe <laughs> and I go in there <clears throat> Kevon and Mary and Gloria uh -huh. mm -hmm. are the three people whom I love the most I had the best interaction with Mary the other day she's awesome yeah and she had a breast cancer scare a couple of weeks ago Wow. and all of us were waiting with bated breath for the results yeah and that, you know, just in and of itself goes to show you mm -hmm. how important relationships are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kivon's mother died a couple of weeks before mine. Mm. And I remember walking in there and seeing her and she and my mother was with me because she had just arrived in town mm. from my sister's house. And she just looked at my mother and she fell into her arms. And my mother said, you know, when you need a hug, you just come to me. <laughs> and then, of course, a week later, I walked into Walgreens and Kevon saw my face and she just looked at me and she said, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. And mother was in the hospital and she was, she was going to die. Yeah. And so that kind of support, you don't just get. Right. <laughs> you have, those are relationships that you build. And, you know, little Miss Gloria, every single morning. Hi, Miss Tara, how are you? Come here. And we hug and we kiss. And they got a new manager in there. And he's like, what is it with all you women standing in the aisles crying and hugging each other? Does anybody shop or work in this store? And he realized a couple of weeks ago, he said to me, I have never, I've been in retail all my life. I have never been in a store like this hmm. where so many people come together mm -hmm. for support. Right and give support and love, you know? And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about uh, living in a small community, Yeah, is that you have community. Yeah. And, and what are we gonna do without it? What do we do without each other? Mm -hmm. I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't had you to give me those healing massages when I really needed them. That power of touch, the love that you gave, the concern that you had um, was extraordinary. Well, thanks. You're welcome. I. I always say to people, partially because I can't take a compliment, but I mean, there's some truth in it as well. I, I can't begin to express how, my, how much I get out of being able to do that kind of work. Yeah. Um, that was the thing that was most shocking to me about it when I, when I turned pro with it. Um, as I, I just, I love my clients. Yeah. And they and love I, you. And I can't, but I can't imagine like working on them and not, right. even if it's first time, per, you know, I've never seen you before, come in here, I'm going to, you know, Extend that. Yep. Ah. Um, I almost feel like we ought to we ought to just end it on that because it's such a beautiful note. Um, back to the Mr. Rogers thing, as I said earlier. You know, I, I'm I'm glad you're one of the people in my neighborhood, even though I am on the wrong side of the tracks, as I was pointing out. Um, <laughs> He's talking about between Clifton and <clears throat> Crescent Hill, but that's okay. 
because we're all part of the same area. We are part of the same Won't area. Won't you be my neighbor? Absolutely. Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Thanks for coming in. You're welcome.